All right, confession time. It's time to come clean on something. It's time we all, you know, confession's good for the soul. It's time we all come clean. We're liars. Now, now hear, hear me out, hear me out. Uh, I'm talking about a very specific instance. Uh, you've done it. I've done it. You, uh, you download an app or you uh, install a new software or you buy an airline ticket or whatever it is and right before, surely I'm not the only one, right before you click submit, right before you click yes, go, whatever it is, you've typed in your information, all is ready and right before you click submit, there's a little box that appears and it says, I have read. The terms and conditions. I accept. I've completely read the terms and conditions, and you check that box, and then you submit. Now, confession time. How many of us, in fact, there's like point, probably point zero 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 one percent of the planet who's actually printed out those terms and conditions, read them dutifully. You know who you are. I'm looking at you, mom. Whoever it is, right, read through the terms and conditions. The other point zero 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 two percent at least sort of scrolls through them, but 99.999% of them, the rest of us, what do we do? We click, yes, I accept all these terms and conditions, and I click submit, and I have no idea what I've signed up for. Perhaps you've done the same thing. Uh, companies know, I think, that nobody reads these terms and conditions, and so there's been some uh, uh, pretty remarkable things. that have, In 2017, for example, in Manchester, England, 22,000 people signed up for free public Wi-Fi, and in doing so, they inadvertently agreed to 1,000 hours of community service, including cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. <laughs> the company said they did it to illustrate the lack of consumer awareness. A few years before that, several Londoners agreed, uh, presumably inadvertently, to give away uh, something for Wi-Fi access. Before they could get on the internet, users had to check a box agreeing to, quote, assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. And apparently folks signed up for free Wi-Fi and gave away their firstborn child. Uh, I guess they didn't mean to do that. Although after, you know, 14 or 30 days of, uh, of uh, being cooped up in the same house, it could be that some parents are looking for how to give uh, away their firstborn child. Maybe the, the, they would assume they'd get them right back. A at any rate, uh, on April, my favorite of all is April Fool's Day 2010, the British retailer, these are all British, apparently the Brits have a very twisted sense of humor about this, but this is my favorite, British retailer Game Station. They sell like video games and stuff. They inserted a new clause into its license agreement with a checkbox that was already ticked, and if you didn't uncheck the box, a user agreed to grant GameStation, quote, a non-transferable option to claim, now and forevermore, your immortal soul. <laughs> and apparently all these users were upset that they had in fact agreed to give away their soul for access to this game. Now, it's not all bad. A Georgia high school teacher uh, read the terms and conditions and there at the bottom of some travel insurance company uh, said, if you're the first person who actually read the citizen email, she emailed them, they sent her a reward for $10,000. So it's not all bad. My, my point is, this is mostly harmless stuff and, and pranks. I don't really think that the, this game station company was able to, to procure human souls. I, 
it's harmless, but what about terms and conditions you have in your life? Have you thought about the terms and conditions you have in your life? You have terms and conditions in business agreements. That's not always a bad thing to have written out, to have spelled out exactly in a lease agreement or in a, in a contract to purchase a car or a house. It's okay, terms and conditions for loans. What about terms and conditions with the people you work with? Do you have unspoken terms and conditions? Uh, do you have unspoken terms and conditions with your friends? A lot of times it, 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 we relate in such a way that, that we have these unspoken terms and conditions, right? I will be good to you so long as what? So long as you meet my terms and conditions. And usually my terms and conditions are as long as you're good to me, as long as you act in a certain way. One of the most remarkable terms and conditions that we actually spell out are marriages, if, you, if, if at your wedding ceremony you took anything close to the traditional wedding vows, those wedding vows were the terms and conditions. Your version of clicking submit or, uh, 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 you know, I accept is, is saying I do. And right before, the terms and conditions were the vows. And, and, and the way the vows are worded are remarkable. They're actually trying to, re, to, to remove terms and conditions. They're saying, look, this is unconditional in sickness or in health. We don't know what the future will hold. A lot of times we want to relate to people in this way. I will be good to you. I will uh, uh, love you. I'll care for you so long as the conditions surrounding us remain favorable. But a wedding vow is very different. It's saying the conditions might change. In fact, the conditions probably will change in sickness and in health. If you get sick or if you stay healthy. If we're richer or for poorer if we gain financially or if we lose. Either way, I've got a commitment. You mark it down on that day. I'm going to be faithful to you regardless of the circumstances. A wedding vow is trying to remove terms and conditions. Why? Because there's certain relationships in your life that go beyond terms and conditions. And that, of course, leads us to this morning, the point of today's sermon. What are the terms and conditions that right now you have on God? That's the point of today's message. I've titled today's message, Terms and Conditions. What terms and conditions have you placed on Almighty God? They've gotta go. What is it? So, so, so do you have some term and condition between you and God, something like this? God, I will love you so long as, ah, terms and conditions, so long as you bless me. So long as I'm financially secure, I'll always be generous. To others so long as God 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 I will I will help others so long as I can be assured of good health so long as I'm guaranteed my family's safety I'll follow you anywhere Lord you see that so, but there's a term and condition there's a string attached so long as I always get to know why I'll always be faithful so long as I still how about this one I will be completely obedient to you I'll I'll repent of all sin and follow you so long as I still get to nurse certain secret sins, as long as I can hold on to just, just a small percentage of my old nature, as long as I can get my questions answered, as long as I can remain comfortable, as I can remain in control, as long as I get my way, whatever it is, we're putting terms and conditions on God. We're not the first people to try to put terms and conditions on God. Turn with me to John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 19. John chapter 20. This Sunday and next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be looking, since last Sunday was Easter, we're going to be looking at some appearances that Jesus made after the resurrection. We come to the first one here in John 20, verse 19. It's a very famous one. 
And we're going to meet someone who had terms and conditions on his relationship with God. Start in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, there's a lot here in this verse. The first being that it was the evening of the first day of the week, the the Lord's Day, right? Easter Sunday morning. Why the evening? Well, for them, Sunday morning would have been just, just a work day, right? This would have just been a regular day. The disciples gathered together, and notice it says they had the doors locked. What's the significance of that? You've got to put yourself in the disciples' sandals. See, it's so easy for us, 2,000 years later, to look back and go, well, come on, after Good Friday comes Easter Sunday morning, comes Resurrection Day. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that great? That's easy for you to say. But for those disciples, remember, it wasn't after Good Friday. They're, They're confused. They're scared to death. They've run. They've fled. This Messiah, or at least the one they thought was Messiah, was supposed to never have an end to his kingdom. And his kingdom has clearly come to an end. Rome has crucified, and, and Rome has not only crucified Jesus, they're thinking, he, it, Rome crucified our leader. It's only a matter of time before they find us. It's only a matter of time before these leaders come after us. They crucified us. They crucified him. They're going to crucify us. And so they're scared to death. They've locked the door. The the only Easter miracle they're hoping for is to somehow get out of Jerusalem alive. They would have left on Saturday, but there's no way they could have escaped the city on Saturday. Saturday, the streets would have been empty. It was the Sabbath, right? And so because of that, they would have caused a great commotion in trying to escape. And so they thought, maybe if we wait until a little later in the week, we can slip out. And so they're, 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 they're sort of formulating their plan there with the doors locked. My point is, at no point, At no point on Saturday did one of the disciples look at the other and say, hey guys, hey, you know what we ought to do tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow, let's all dress up in pastel colors and we'll hide a bunch of eggs. Okay, stay with me. It's gonna be great. And we'll celebrate. We'll have a big feast. Like, no, the only Easter miracle they wanted was to somehow get out of the city alive. So the door is locked. And the point of the door being locked is just that. Nobody can get in. Verse 19, Jesus came. Okay, so maybe I should clarify. When I say nobody can get in, I mean nobody except the one Lord of glory who has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Nobody but that one can come through a locked door. Jesus came and stood among them. Isn't that precious? He came to them. When they were so scared and when they were just full of fear and they had the door locked, Jesus comes right through a locked door. Forever proving, by the way, that a locked door or a locked heart is no match for a living Lord on the loose. A closed country, why do we pray? Why do we send missionaries? Why? Because a closed country is no match for a living Lord on the loose. What about your lost friend? You keep praying for him, you keep preaching to him, you keep reaching out, why? You do that because you know he's a living Lord on the loose and a locked door or a locked heart is no match for a living savior. So anyway, he comes, he stands among them and when Jesus came and stood among them, he said, he said what? He said, where were you guys when I needed you? Is that what he said? No. Hey, hey, fellas, I got this. No thanks to you, cowards. Is that what he said? No. Of all the things he could have said, he says what? Peace be with you. He gives them peace. The peace of God. And there's so much more to this peace. Not only is this the fulfillment of a prophecy. Jesus said a few chapters ago, my peace I leave with you. It's not like the world gives. No, no, no. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And he gives them that peace. 
There's more to this piece. The piece here, he's, he's showing them the great need of your life is not just to be told that everything's gonna be okay. The great need of your life is not just comfort. The great need of every human life, every human being by sin has been separated from God. And the New Testament puts this in very stark terms. It says that we have enmity between us and God. There is hostility. In other words, you and God, before you're saved, you and God are at war. Now you may not feel that way, but in sin, that's rebellion. That's saying, no God, I don't want you to be the king. I'm gonna be the king. Well, there's war there. And what Jesus is saying when he says to these disciples, peace, he's saying he has brought the peace where there was enmity between man and God, Jesus has crossed that bridge for us. Jesus, our great mediator, has made peace. How? By his own blood shed on the cross. It's more than just, hey, everything's gonna be okay. It's there is now objectively peace between humans and God again because of my sacrifice. That's what he's saying when he says, peace be with you. And after this, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Isn't this a tender moment? The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Two things I want you to see, Jesus having the, the, the nail scars in his hands and the, 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 the wound from the spear piercing his side. Two reasons he shows him his scars. One, I think that this was his calling card. This was his form of identification. It's really me, Jesus, back from the dead. Why? Look, here's proof. Here's my scars. So in one sense, it was proof. But there's something more. These verses are filled with love, and they're especially a word of proof to every one of us who's carrying around wounds. Maybe you have scars, and you need to hear this word today, that you not only, for whatever you've been through, for whatever you've suffered, you not only have a Lord Jesus who suffered for you, but there's a sense in which he suffered with you. What do I mean by that? He knows. You have a wound of abandonment, he knows what it means to be cut off. You have scars and wounds of of abuse and hurt and people have wronged you, Jesus knows what it means to be physically abused and hurt and wronged. Isn't that something? Isn't that tender? Isn't that a word of hope to know that he kept the scars in his glorified body? He could have easily done some some, uh, glorified cosmetic surgery and removed all those scars. He kept them. Why? He wanted you to know here is a God who allowed himself to become killable. As crazy as that sounds, here was a God who allowed himself to become vulnerable at the hands of sinful men. There's many theologians who've, who've thought and unpacked the beauty of this, but maybe we don't need a theologian here. Maybe we need a poet. Edward Shillito wrote a poem after the devastation and human suffering of World War I when the world was shocked out of the enlightenment. We thought, oh, if we get enough technology and we get enough science and we get enough smarts and we get enough education, there won't be any more human suffering. Yeah, World War I put an end to that kind of thinking, and he reflected on human suffering, and he reflected on Jesus and his precious scars, and he wrote this poem, it's called Jesus of the Scars, and here's just a few couplets, just a couple couplets from that poem. And he's reflecting on how other gods don't have a God who suffers. Other gods, the the point is they're, they're high and mighty and transcendent, and here's what he writes. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. And isn't that true? Jesus, even on his way to the cross, he was so weak, he couldn't even carry his own cross. He had to drink the cup, but Simon had to carry the cross. 
Incredible. No pride there. There's humility. But, but, he says, but, when you think about all these other quote-unquote gods, listen to what he says, but to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds but thou alone. Show me another religion like this. Show me another, show me anything in the world like this that a God becomes flesh, born as a, a baby in a manger and grows up to live a sinless life and then allows himself to be wounded and crushed, a God who would become killed for us and our salvation. So when we say, when Christians say things like Jesus understands, they're not just saying some nice platitude, they're telling you gospel truth. Well, the disciples are overjoyed, and so we think, that's great, it's a happy ending, right? Well, not so fast, not everyone was there. Look at verse 24. Now, we know this story, right? There was one disciple who who wasn't there from the remaining 11, and his name was Thomas. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's such a great nickname for Thomas. You know, Thomas is my name, by the way, and I'm glad they they nicknamed me Tom and not Didymus, (laughs) T. Diddy, whatever. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Ah, uh, by the way, why was Thomas not with him? Lots of theologians speculate. We all have our guesses. My, uh, uh, my thinking is this. Thomas was so brokenhearted. Thomas, throughout the scriptures, right, he wants to be where Jesus is, even in John 11, when Jesus is about to go back into the danger zone of Judea, where they just tried to kill him. Thomas says, fine, let's go with you and also die. He just wanted to be with his Lord Jesus. And and I think he was crushed. I think he was discouraged and despondent. Now watch this. This is a very important spiritual principle. Just in the moment where Thomas needed to be with Christian fellowship, just when he needed to be with God's people the most, that's when he was away. That's how it always works. When you go through your lowest times spiritually, when you go through your darkest times, that's the time you are least likely to come to church. You don't wanna come to church, you don't wanna be around God's people, you're so depressed, you're so discouraged, you don't wanna be around anybody, and that's, ironically, the time you need to be at church the most. I can't explain it, but I've seen it happen in people's lives. Listen to me, the times you need to be in church the most are often the times when you want to be in church the least. That's just a fact for us to prepare for. And here Thomas needed to be with his brothers. He wasn't. But, but look at the tender mercy of the disciples. Look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him. They went to him. Isn't that? You need people in your life when you are so low, when you're so dark and despondent that you feel like you can't come, that they will go and get you with the good news. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And here, here's where he gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas, though I don't, well, I'll get ahead of myself, but I don't think it's doubting Thomas. I think it's willful unbelief, Thomas. But, but anyway, here's what he says. But he said to them, we've seen the Lord, Thomas, he's alive. Thomas says, uh-uh-uh, I got terms and conditions. Hmm? He said to them, I got three conditions. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were. It's not enough to see it. I also got to feel it. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe just took a magic marker and right, uh, uh, no, 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 I want to. I want to feel, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see that? Terms and conditions. Unless those three things are met, I will not believe. Now, uh, in the Greek here, it's emphatic. I will not, no, never believe. There's almost a a, a sort of 
double emphasis on not. I will not believe. That's why I say this is willful unbelief. And let me say here that when it comes to terms and conditions, a lot of times we, we say cannot when what we mean is will not. I know there are some people who say, I cannot believe. There's just intellectually, I can't believe in God. I can't believe in heaven. I can't believe in the, the salvation story. I can't believe. I think a lot of people say cannot when what they really mean is will not. Don't say cannot when you mean will not. In terms of cannot, oh, we all have doubts. Don't, don't say, oh, I cannot believe that. There's many Christians, faithful Christians, have often scratched our head. We've wondered, how could Jonah survive in the belly of a whale? And how did this happen? And we've got doubts, questions. That's one thing. I'm not talking about intellectual curiosities. We've got that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about willful, I will not believe. A lot of people let themselves off the hook and say, I cannot, when what they really have is pride. What they're really saying is, I will not. And if you're a person who doesn't yet believe in God, you've not yet submitted, surrendered to Christ, I wonder if you've been letting yourself off the hook saying, well, I can't believe that. When what you really need to do is search your heart. Are you really saying, I will not? There's some stubborn pride there. I say that because Thomas is not, in fact, rebuked for his doubts. He's rebuked for his willful unbelief. Look what happens. Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Same story, same setup. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So there, there, there Thomas, he's here this time, and Thomas gets to see it, and then he turns, the, I mean, I have no idea how this went down. Maybe he even snuck in right behind Thomas as Thomas was sort of pontificating to the disciples. I will not believe. My conditions are as follows. Maybe Jesus sneaks up behind him, you know, taps him on the shoulder. Not now. I will not believe. I'm, 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 right, and then he sees him. Who knows how it went down, but verse 27, Jesus said to Thomas, which shows obviously that Jesus, though Thomas wasn't there when he said it, uh, uh, though, though Thomas didn't know Jesus was there when he said it, Jesus obviously knew everything. He knew his thoughts. And so he names his three conditions. I believe you wanted to put your finger here. You also wanted to see my hands. That's number two. And I think number three was you wanted to put your hand and place it into my side. Here I am. And why do I say this is willful unbelief? Because Thomas never does any of that. Clearly, that was not the issue of his heart. There was willful unbelief. He doesn't say, good, let me meet my conditions. Jesus just looks at him and says, don't disbelieve, but believe. What you have is willful unbelief. Don't disbelieve. Believe. And Thomas does what? Thomas answers with an answer that is sparkling with faith. He says to him, Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is what the entire gospel of John has been building to all the way from chapter one. Thomas is the first human being to directly call Jesus God. That's what the gospel of John is trying to show, that Jesus the Messiah is the son of God. And Thomas says, you are Lord and you are God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. That's exactly right. Why did Thomas get to this point, how did Thomas say that? He realizes if Jesus is risen from the dead, if he's alive, he is Lord over everything, and that means he's God, and if he's God, my terms and conditions don't apply. This is unconditional surrender. Thomas went from conditional faith to unconditional surrender. I wrote a little phrase here that I think captures what I'm trying to say in this message in one sentence. I want you to say it with me. I'll say it first. If Jesus is alive, 
My terms and conditions no longer apply. Now let me unpack it and we'll say it together. What do I mean by that? If, Jesus, if the eyewitnesses are true, if, if, if this fact of the resurrection is true, if Jesus is Lord of all, then what terms and conditions can I put on God? I can't. I'm his creature. I'm, I'm, I'm his creation. I'm the sheep of his pasture. I live by his hand. In other words, if Jesus is alive, my terms and conditions no longer apply. Just like with Thomas. Will you say it with me? It might feel a little funny if you're alone in the room. That's all right. Say it out loud. If you're with your family, everybody say it together on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. If Jesus is alive, my terms and conditions no longer apply. That's the point of this whole message today. You've, you've listened to this on, online. I, I know it's, it's tough, even as I watch it online. Sometimes I think, how, how do you keep your attention, all that stuff? Listen, all I care about is this. Will you drop your terms and conditions when it comes to obedience this morning? What terms and conditions have you had that you need to drop? The best illustration comes from war. When <clears throat> there's a war going on between let's say two nations, uh, a war can be ended by a peace treaty and often it will come with uh, conditions of surrender. In other words, this side says, we'll lay down our arms if you'll stop doing this and we'll do this, you do this, they compromise. Here are our conditions, right? There are conditions and if the conditions are met, then there's a ceasefire. There's another way a war ends, however. The other way is if one group is so completely devastated, they're so overwhelmed, that they come with unconditional surrender. Unconditional, without condition. We see this in the Old Testament in the scriptures. We see that, uh, you know, we'll all become your slaves forever. We, you, you can do whatever, just don't annihilate us. We're completely at your mercy. We come unconditionally, unconditional surrender. When it comes to a human being and their maker, God is looking for hearts this morning with unconditional surrender. Now let me ask you, do you have conditional faith or unconditional surrender? Do you have all these terms and conditions? If so, will you repent this morning and yield unconditionally to him? Chuck's gonna come and help us as we have just a, a time of prayer and response. I wanna lead you in a time of reflection. And that may seem scary, I understand that. It may seem scary, and that's a whole other sermon why uh, we would never give unconditional surrender to a human being because they have, they, you know, they have sin and they might not honor and, and so forth. But, but unconditional surrender to God, that may seem like a scary step, but I just wanna say two words of encouragement to you as we reflect and as we close and as you're, as you're allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to you about conditions versus unconditional. The first is you're already unconditionally surrendering to someone or something. You're gonna yield unconditionally to yourself or to someone or to something, and if it's not God, it'll lead you on a path to destruction. And the second thing I wanna point out is, think about, think about the one to whom I'm asking you to unconditionally surrender. What kind of God are we talking about? If you unconditionally surrender to this God, what kind of God, well, if you put yourself in his hands, you do realize you're putting yourself in hands that are nail-scarred, for you. I'm asking you to unconditionally surrender to the one who loves you unconditionally. His love for you is without condition this morning. Has that ever occurred to you? He loves you with no terms or conditions. 
In fact, while we were still sinners, while we were violating every term and condition God could possibly have, in that moment, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you without condition. And so our only response to his holiness, to his love, to his goodness, is unconditional surrender. Will you remove the terms and conditions in your relationship with God this morning and be more obedient, more fully surrendered to him? If you'd like to talk to somebody right now, we've got folks that you can talk to, 256-734-5632. You can pause this video, pick up the phone, and make that call and reach out, have somebody pray with you, pray over you, and you can share. I hope that after this sermon is done and after the benediction, you'll, you'll get on the phone with each other. You'll, you'll talk about this in your Sunday school, removing the terms and conditions that we might be more obedient than ever, church. Let's pray. God grant that we might have the grace to remove the terms and conditions that we so often foolishly place on our relationship with you and embrace instead unconditional surrender. And we recognize this morning, oh God, that you love us without condition. Your love for us is unconditional. God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. grant us this in Jesus name amen amen I hope that wherever you are wherever you're uh, watching this I hope that you won't mind it may feel a little awkward but I'm asking you to stand for the benediction will you do that will you stand to your feet our benediction is uh, my favorite numbers chapter 6 may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. I love you.